Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in today. Technically, it's Monday, January 6th. For me, basically, it's Sunday night. It's so it's just so late in Sunday night that it's now Monday morning. Um, and I want to start the show off with a very silly topic. It's not about sports. It'd be very, very brief. I just want to ask a very quick question for people listening on, especially on YouTube. If you're listening to the full episode, please comment below your opinion on this. Um, I put on my Instagram story that I eat pizza with a fork and a knife, and I just got, oh my gosh, I got so much hatred. I cannot believe, I thought, I thought it was a normal thing. You eat pizza with a fork, you eat pizza with a knife. It's just easier. It's just my life is more simple and more better that way, more better. I can't, English is hard, okay? It's, it's difficult for me, but it's a litmus test. I'm curious. If you're listening on YouTube, especially the full episode, comment below, let me know. Do you eat pizza with a fork, with a knife? Is that crazy? Like, the only time I ever use my hands is when I'm eating really thin New York-style pizza where you can fold it in half like a taco. Other than that, any other type of pizza, you get a fork, you get a knife. That's how I enjoy my pizza. Um, I want your opinion on that. Now, I also want to say it's been a huge, like, last week for both Minnesota sports and Tennessee sports. I guess Tennessee football, Minnesota football. The Tennessee Volunteers won their bowl game. They beat Indiana in the, oh gosh, is it the Gator Bowl? I can't remember the name of the bowl. The bowl game in Jacksonville. Not only did the Volunteers win their bowl game, the Tennessee Titans football team beat the Patriots in Wild Card Weekend. So both the professional team and the college team in the last week won for the Tennessee football teams. And Minnesota, the same exact thing happened. The Golden Gophers, the Minnesota Golden Gophers won their bowl game over Auburn. And then you also had the Minnesota Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints in Wild Card Weekend. So, man, I'm really happy for the states of... Minnesota and Tennessee. Right now, they're sitting really pretty. I want to start there today. The Tennessee Titans beat the New England Patriots 20-13 to during Wild Card Weekend. The Patriots have been knocked out of the playoffs. And I want to point out that there's a very interesting, weird fact about the last two weeks for the Patriots. In the last two weeks, the Patriots have lost to former Patriots now twice in a row. Whether it was Week 17, two weeks ago, the Patriots lost to the Miami Dolphins, and the head coach of the Dolphins is... Brian Flores, a former Patriots assistant, a guy who was with the Patriots for a long time, won a Super Bowl as a defensive play caller. He beat the Patriots two weeks ago. Now, this past weekend, literally two days ago, for you guys, for me, it's a day and a half ago, uh, but the Patriots lost to Mike Vrabel, the former New England Patriot, the guy who played with Tom Brady, won Super Bowls with Tom Brady, playing for Bill Belichick. He's now the head coach of the Titans. The Titans now have beaten the Patriots. It's not lost on anybody that, oh, it's interesting, the two teams in a row that really kind of embarrassed and, and beat the Patriots the worst, I would say, or the most, uh, maybe the most cleverly, were <laughs> the Dolphins, the Patriots, former people who've been around Belichick and played for Belichick or played or coached with Belichick. Now, I got to say, um, we're talking about a, a Patriots assistant, a former Patriot, Mike Vrabel, and his, the way he beat the Patriots. One of my favorite moments from the Patriots-Titans playoff game was actually the way that the Titans were manipulating the rules of the game to, you know, taking pre-snap penalties to run time off the clock. I love that. It was kind of like the Patriots getting a taste of their own medicine where another team was finding a way to manipulate the rules and run the clock down. I love that. It was one of my favorite moments. I thought it was just really cool and really clever by the Tennessee Titans. Man, it was such a fun game. Like I, the outcome was awesome. I think a lot of people in the sports world, it's very divisive. Either you're, if you're a Patriots fan, you're like, ah, my team was knocked out. But I think everybody else in the sports world is kind of like, wow, what a cool moment. The Patriots are out of the playoffs. They're not going to be in the Super Bowl. Um, that's not why I'm excited. I'm just excited for the Tennessee Titans, period. I like their, their story as a football team, benching their quarterback, playing Ryan Tannehill, now leading them in the playoffs, then upsetting the Patriots, the sixth seed beating the Patriots in the, in the playoffs. Like, Man, that's awesome to me, and I'm so happy for the Tennessee Titans. Um, There was a lot of talk before the game. People were like, oh, the Patriots have been so good for so many years. They haven't even had to play in the wild card round of the playoffs. In 10 years, they're so good. And if anybody doesn't know the way the playoffs work, obviously, is that the two best teams in the AFC with the two best records don't have to play in wild card weekend. They get a bye for the first week of the playoffs. I don't know how anybody doesn't know that, but in case you don't, now you know. Now, of course, this year, unlike most years, this year, the Patriots did not get a bye. In fact, the Ravens and the Chiefs got the bye week. The Patriots had to play because their record wasn't good enough, and uh, they lost. How interesting is that? All this talk, the Patriots are they're so much better than the bye weekend. I can't believe that to play. Then to do that and to lose at home to the Tennessee Titans, I don't know. I'm just, it's not about the Patriots, really. The story to me is how cool 
It is that the Titans overcame and had this gigantic upset over the Patriots. I love it. Now, the man we have to talk about, obviously, is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, the running back for the Tennessee Titans, the guy ran the ball 34 times for 182 yards, had a touchdown running. He also had one catch for 22 yards. And uh, it's really wild. I'm going to screw up this name. Anthony Ferkser. Anthony Ferkser is a tight end for the Tennessee Titans. He had two catches for 23 yards. He was the leading receiver for the Tennessee Titans in this game. The second leading receiver for the Tennessee Titans, guess who it was? None other than the running back, Derrick Henry. He was the... He missed out on being the leading receiver, Derrick Henry did, by one yard. Derrick Henry was the entire Tennessee Titans offense on Saturday. The Titans had a total of 272 yards. And Derrick Henry accounted for 204 of those yards. Derrick Henry, the dude accounted for 75% of their total offense. Unbelievable. It just And we'll get into it in a moment, how special and cool that is. Uh, But the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, I love the guy. Great story. Didn't do a ton. He was 8 for 15 passing. He had 72 yards. Oh, a hole of 72 yards passing. That's nothing. He had a touchdown pass. I'll give him that. His best pass of the day day was probably that touchdown pass. It was like, I think it was like on a third and 10. He responded through a touchdown pass into the end zone. He also had an interception. And I am not a stats guy. I regularly actually make fun of statistics. But the stats from this game are evidence really of the main storyline which is that Derrick Henry was the Titans biggest factor on offense he against the Patriots was the Tennessee Titans offense and I really want to praise the Titans for something um you know it this seems very silly to praise the Titans for this, but I want to give them credit for leaning into Derrick Henry it was working and they just kept feeding the beast in the Rose Bowl you know last week on Wednesday on New Year's Day I watched Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Badgers had this incredible running back, Jonathan Taylor. He's a was a Heisman finalist for a lot of the year. He's incredible. He's really, really talented. And they had Jonathan Taylor, and they didn't use him as much as they could have. They only ran him 21 times. And it, it just again, I go back to it seems silly to praise the Titans for going, for recognizing and having self-awareness to go, oh, hey, this is clearly working. Let's lean into it. But I have seen teams in the past have a hard time leaning into what works. Wisconsin and the Rose Bowl, even there, were, there was a moment in this Titans-Patriots game where, like for two, maybe, was it two drives in a row where the Patriots, or excuse me, where the Titans kind of got away from running the football and started throwing the ball more frequently? And ironically, it's when it didn't work. They, they went three and out. It wasn't working for them. But the Titans were able to right the ship, and they were able to stick with what they do best, which is you got to not overthink things. If something's working, like if Derrick Henry's running as well as he was on Saturday, you just got to lean into it and keep going. And uh, I love it, man. I really am happy for the Titans. Again, we saw Wisconsin football have this incredible running back, only ran him 21 times. Unlike that, the Titans had the awareness to go, hey, we have Derrick Henry. We don't need to throw for a lot of yards. We need to win this football game. That's what's going to happen if we do this. Derrick Henry ran the ball 34 times. He's a massive running back. And when you have a guy like Derrick Henry, six foot three, 238, 238 pounds, running downhill, I mean, by the end of the game, People are sick of having to tackle Derrick Henry. And it's something kind of like that is what we saw on Saturday, man. He was just, man, running for big chunk after big chunk. Eight yards, nine yards, 12 yards, giant run after giant run after giant run. Nobody wanted to tackle him. And the coolest thing I saw on Saturday for the Tennessee Titans, I saw something I've never seen before in football. Look, I'm a football nerd. It's my favorite sport in the world. That's what I, I am passionate about the game of football. And before halftime, the Titans had the ball in a two-minute situation, meaning that they had two minutes, roughly, to get the ball down the field as quickly as they could to try to score points. They were down 13-6. to six. They needed points. And what I've, this is what I've never seen before, is the way the Titans achieved having a quick drive go all the way down the field is they ran the football. You never see that in the world of sports, especially in the world of football, because, hey, running the ball keeps the clock running. So you want to throw the ball. If it's an incomplete pass, the clock will stop. If it is a complete pass, you can catch the ball and get out of bounds. You almost never see in a two-minute drill a team leaning into running the football and consistently running football. That's what the Titans did. I want to praise their self-awareness to realize, hey, this is working. We're going to stick with it. And then you know they, they ran the ball all the way down the field. And then understanding in the red zone, they faked the run, then threw a screen pass to Derrick Henry for a 22-yard gain down to the one-yard line. That set up an easy touchdown run. 
It was just a fun sequence to watch. I've never seen a team in a two-minute drill where they got to score quickly actually run the ball and run the ball as often and as effectively as it did. Derrick Henry had all the yards on that drive, whether it was him running the ball or catching that 22-yard pass down to the one-yard line. Derrick Henry was that entire drive for the Titans, and they did it quickly. They moved the ball on a two-minute drill. They scored before halftime, making it 14-13. to And man, is it so, so cool to me. And, you know, I've been giving Derrick Henry so much credit here, and he deserves it. He's, he's phenomenal. But no running back succeeds without help. And the help that he got was from his offensive line. The big boys up front were pushing the Patriots around. It was so cool, man, that I, I am so impressed with the, the, the push up front the Titans generated. And, of course, like you're, if you're going to talk about the running back, you also got to acknowledge, hey, his offensive line was doing the dirty work, opening up gigantic running lanes for him. He did a great job. He ran a lot after contact. He ran people over. He broke tackles. But also, the, Texan, uh, the Titans' offensive line from Tennessee – Man, they did a great job on Saturday. So the game was 14-13 to 13 at halftime. And the Patriots lost 20-13. to 13. Do the math. The Patriots were unable to score in the second half. Now, if you have been following Tom Brady at all this year, you know that the Sharks are circling. People are really excited to call the end of the career of Tom Brady. And I think a lot of people, this is just a, a, a really kind of a, a symptom of the way the media works today is, Everybody wants to be first. Nobody has patience. I, I struggle with this myself. Like I'm recording. There's a reason I'm trying to get this out in the morning before people are, are awake and starting their day on Monday so that I can be one of the first guys to get a video about this Patriots game out. And, and of course, I'm not because now, you know, it's, it, that game happened Saturday. If I really wanted to be first, I would have recorded it Saturday night. The point is this, though, that people want to be first in the media, especially in this day and age. And everybody's trying to say, I was the first guy who said Tom Brady was starting to, we'll say, fall off a cliff. A lot of Someone said that a while back, and they were wrong a long time ago to say Tom Brady was falling off a cliff. He, he's not, and he hasn't. Tom Brady is still a very capable quarterback. He's capable of playing at a very high level in the NFL at the quarterback position. Tom Brady had multiple throws on Saturday where you kind of turn your head and go, oh, wow, that's a laser beam. That's, that's a really good throw. Some of them were incomplete. Or he, he hit guys in the right spot, the hands, and they just happened to drop it. Um, and I got to say, inexperience really hurt the Patriots on offense. They struggled running the ball at times, but their receivers especially, you know, man, Nikhil Harry is this really physically gifted receiver for the Patriots. He had a couple moments that you go, dude, what are you doing? He couldn't win a route on the sideline. He had a play where he was running vertical and he just slowed down his feet and stopped running. It's like, you got to keep going. And you can see the frustration on Tom Brady's face. He really struggled working with the young guy. I've been there with young people who are learning how to play a position. It's really frustrating. Um, and man, even Julian Edelman, the Patriots, you know, best receiver, this, thing, this kind of, he's become a legendary figure in the, with the Patriots organization. Even Julian Edelman had a really bad drop on third and six where he was wide open near the end of the game and just flat out dropped the pass, forced the Patriots to have to punt. Uh, the Patriots' struggles at receiver are a understated problem. And everyone wants to blame Tom Brady. And I get it. He's the quarterback. That's what happens. But the reality is that a lot of the Patriots' struggles come from poor protection and really struggling to win one-on-one matchups with the offensive line. And then the fact that their receivers are just young. And, you know, Philip Dorsett is a mess. That dude is so inconsistent. He misses signals. He has all these problems. Tom Brady's not the problem. In New England. Now, you also have to acknowledge, though, the Patriots had a lot of opportunities to win this football game. They had a first and goal from the one-yard line. They ran the ball three plays in a row. They couldn't score from the one-yard line three plays in a row, just running the ball. They had to settle for a field goal. That cost them big time. They also had a big kick return into the, tech, the Titans' territory. They couldn't capitalize on that. Uh, and their biggest play of the game was a play where Tom Brady actually scrambled, extended the play, and threw the ball way downfield for a big gain. And it was called back by a penalty. So the Patriots had opportunities, and they squandered it. Not to mention the Patriots also intercepted the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, which has been a rarer feat that doesn't happen as frequently as it has in the past for Ryan Tannehill this year. The Patriots had chances to win, and they could not capitalize. But again, oddly, it's very interesting. You know, the struggles of the Patriots were not Tom Brady's fault. They were largely an offense, especially the fault of the receivers, not making plays on the outside. A consistent theme I've been saying for years of the Patriots, they need receivers who can win one-on-one matchups outside. They still 
somehow don't have receivers that can make that happen. I think Tom Brady's really frustrated today. I think he's, we'll get into what I think is going to happen next with Tom Brady, but I want to say, man, I, I really feel for him. Now, I also want to praise the Titans punter, Brett Kern. I've never talked about punters before on this podcast. At least I don't, I'm sure I have at some point. I, I, it's not a thing I regularly talk about. Uh, but Brett Kern, the punter for the Titans, had a huge impact on this football game. He punted six times, and four of those punts pinned the Patriots back inside their own 20-yard line. Multiple of them actually pinned them back within their own five-yard line. Um, and the Patriots kept starting drives with really bad, really difficult field position. Uh, yeah, like The final punt of the game for Brett Kern put the Patriots down at their own one-yard line. And it's not all Brett Kern. I mean, the guys covering the punt also did a good job. But the Patriots pinned back Tom Brady, man. They, they really did. And uh, it's kind of funny, kind of sad. Tom Brady's last pass of this game, and quite possibly and quite probably, his last pass as a New England Patriot actually went for a pick six. You know, he threw the ball to a receiver, got tipped up in the air, ran back for a touchdown. It made the game 20-13 to 13 instead of 13-14. to 14. And, uh, you know, Brady was backed up in his own end zone. He threw to Mohamed Sanu. It got popped up in the air for a pick six. But that final play of the game was the really the final dagger in the season of the New England Patriots and kind of that final crushing blow. And kind of, again, it's kind of sad and kind of interesting that that's how Tom Brady's career with the Patriots might possibly end. The pick six and a playoff loss in the wild card round of the playoffs at home. What an what a unceremonious end. And if Tom Brady gets all the blame here, that's, that's just wrong. It's just not Tom Brady's fault. He clearly, I think, has shown he still has something in the tank. That is my whole takeaway on the Titans beating the Patriots in the wild card round. Again, I am so, so happy for the Tennessee Titans. Now, the biggest question regarding Tom Brady now is, what's next? What is next for Tom Brady? I saw a post on social media kind of summarizing his career. It was like, you know, he's a six-time Super Bowl winner. He's a four-time Super Bowl MVP. He's a three-time regular season MVP. Tom Brady is second all-time in passing yards. He's second all-time in passing touchdowns. He's first all-time in wins by a quarterback, probably wins by any position. I don't think anybody's played as long and as successful as he has and he's a 14-time Pro Bowler in the NFL. But uh, despite all those accomplishments, and the, the kind of the post was appreciating, this has been Tom Brady's incredible career, and the, the unspoken message was this might be the end. I do not believe that Tom Brady's done playing football in the NFL. He, he keeps, you know, he's giving some cryptic answers. Um, Tom Brady loves the game of football, and I think he wants to win. He wants to prove people wrong. This year did not, you know, get enough support. Tom Brady did not get enough support this year from his offense, from his offensive line, from the wide receivers around him. He had crappy, inexperienced receivers. The Patriots struggled with protection. I believe Tom Brady still has good football left in the tank. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Tom Brady's contract situation in a minute. I think it's interesting, though. People are speculating whether or not Tom Brady is going to leave. I think what's really fascinating is the things you're not hearing from either the Patriots or from Tom Brady. You're not hearing Tom Brady say, I love Bill Belichick. He's my favorite coach. I want to play with him. I want to be here. You're not hearing Tom Brady say, I want to be with the New England Patriots. And you're also not hearing Bill Belichick and the Patriots say, we love Tom Brady. We want to have him here. I think what's interesting is not what's being said, but what's not being said, which is neither side on this, you know, on Brady's camp or the Patriots camp, neither side is really saying we want the other one. Which tells me it's probably because both of the sides want their relationship to come to an end. So now we can discuss Tom Brady's contract situation. This is maybe one of the most underreported and you know under-discussed stories in all of sports. For a long time, Tom Brady has wanted a significant contract from the Patriots. Whatever that means to you, whether it's money or you know a lot of years, he's wanted the Patriots to make a commitment to him, and they've really struggled to embrace him. The Patriots haven't wanted to do that. The Patriots say, well, Tom Brady, look, you're 42 years old now. In August, you're going to be 43 going into next year. And then the Patriots and Tom Brady had a really awkward, how do I put this? Tom Brady signed one of the more bizarre contracts I've ever seen in my entire life. It just, it was a, he signed a two-year deal worth $70 million. That's what the, that's what it was sold as on the surface. And people were like, wow, Tom Brady's going to stay with the Patriots for two more years. He signed a contract extension. And then you read the fine print on the contract and you realize, oh, 
It's a sham. The contract is a fake. It's just, that's not real. And a lot of people, myself included, because of what happened, a lot of people misreported this story. I was reading what everyone was reporting. Everyone was saying, Tom Brady signs a two-year contract and he's going to be here for two more years. And people were literally typing in articles. The only way Tom Brady's time is going to end with the Patriots before 2021 is if he retires. And uh, a lot of people, again, didn't understand the fine details of the contract. People were wrong. I was misled. It was really frustrating. I, when I found out, oh, the things I'm reading on these articles are not true, I was frustrated. I was like, really? I got misled? So Tom Brady signed a two-year contract, but here's the weird part. It's a two-year contract in name only. At least it was. The contract actually automatically expires on the last day of the 2019 league season, the league year. It literally was not a two-year contract. It was a two-year contract, except, oh, uh, it wasn't because it voids. The contract expires at the end of this year, even though for some reason it's called a two-year contract. It was all for show. Tom Brady is heading into free agency. The the contract was false advertising. I think really it was a feel-good story. See, look, we have Brady. uh, And and I think really the move was to remove distractions. People don't want to have the whole year be about Tom Brady leaving. It became that anyways because people were the fine print. Some of them did. Um, but the two-year stuff was just you know PR. It was so that, again, it would get less attention, and it worked. Many people really missed that key detail about the contract voiding at the end of the 2019 season. And even today, I still see people saying really dumb stuff about Tom Brady's contract. I just saw an article today that, I guess earlier this morning, saying that Bill Belichick controls Tom Brady's future. It's not true. It's not true at all. Like, literally not true at all. There's one unique clause on Tom Brady's contract. Maybe the biggest benefit to him, you know, re-upping and getting a new contract extension, despite the fact it was fake. It wasn't even a two-year extension. But the biggest thing and the biggest difference in this new contract was that it, it said that the Patriots cannot franchise tag Tom Brady. Tom Brady's really smart because of this move. He's free. He can literally go anywhere he wants and do whatever he wants. Bill Belichick has no control over Tom Brady. I guess Bill Belichick, you could say, has control over whether Tom Brady comes back or not. But I don't. does Tom Brady want to go back to the Patriots? I think he's out. Not only did the Patriots refuse to embrace him, refuse to give him a significant contract financially or amount of years, but you know that fake two-year contract that actually voids at the end of 2019 – I'm sure he feels kind of slighted and underappreciated. Not to mention the Patriots didn't take care of him. They didn't get him a you know great receiver. They, they had Antonio Brown. They released him. They had Josh Gordon. They got rid of him. The Patriots didn't do enough to put good receivers around Tom Brady, and the offensive line really struggled. Subpar receivers, a sloppy offensive line. Not to mention all season, Tom Brady has had people doubt him. People have been blaming, especially in the media, blaming Tom Brady for the shortcomings of his teammates. And I believe Tom Brady is eager to prove himself. He wants to prove people wrong and prove people that not only is he still capable of playing at a high level, but two, I think Tom Brady, and I believe Tom Brady, wants to prove to people that he can win without Bill Belichick. Ooh, man. So Tom Brady's going to leave New England. That's my opinion Um, he's going to go somewhere that won't be afraid to not only embrace him, but is going to and willing to and capable of giving Tom Brady finally good teammates and good playmakers around him. So two teams need to listen up. Two teams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. Listen to what I have to say next. You need to sign Tom Brady, and then you need to draft quarterback Jordan Love out of Utah State. Two teams are uniquely equipped to take advantage of Tom Brady's final years in the NFL. The Colts have a great offensive line. They have a great offensive coach. They have a star veteran receiver, T.Y. Hilton. They have a great tight end, great running game, a really good defense. The Colts have all the pieces to help Tom Brady win in the future in the NFL. And then the Buccaneers have a ton of talent at receiver. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. Mike Evans is the best jump ball receiver in the NFL. I I don't care who you are. He just wins contested passes constantly. They also have tight end O.J. Howard. The Buccaneers have a ton of talent. 
And here's what you do if you're one of those two teams, uh, the Buccaneers or the Colts. You give Brady a good contract. Give the man what he wants. Make him appreciate it. Give him a two-year contract, a three-year contract. Invest in Tom Brady. Make him happy. And then draft Utah State quarterback Jordan Love. Jordan Love is immensely, immensely talented. I think he's the most underappreciated quarterback prospect coming up in this NFL draft. Look, you got to just trust me on this one. I was right when I said Will Greer's arm talent isn't there. I, I understand arm talent. You can see it when you see it. And, man, Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State, is the most gifted quarterback I've seen since Pat. You know, Patrick Mahomes, coming out of college, had all these issues where he struggled with decision-making and this and that. But his, his arm talent was undeniable. Same with Josh Allen. Jordan Love is one of those kind of guys where, you know, he's not ready to play. He needs to sit for two years, decision-making, things like that. He's not up to snuff. But fundamentally, like not only, so Josh Allen had fundamental issues. You know, Patrick Mahomes was, could sling the ball over the place that had fundamental issues. Jordan Love fundamentally is phenomenal. His arm strength is there. He's got a cannon. He can move around and extend plays and then launch the ball with ease downfield. Um, he needs to sit and learn. He's incredibly talented, but he's also incredibly undervalued. If you can teach Jordan Love how to play the quarterback position, he could potentially be the best quarterback in the entire NFL. He's literally that talented. I haven't seen a guy like this in a long time. And so I think you take the pressure off of Jordan Love. You bring him in. Say, hey, the guy in front of you is Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. There's no pressure here. Just get yourself ready. Whenever you're ready, you're ready. And right now we got Tom Brady probably playing well because we're the Colts or we're the Buccaneers. That's what I would do. And I think you can get a guy like Jordan Love who's not being appreciated right now, not ready to play right now. He's either going to fall. I, I think I, I, I could see him being drafted late in the first round because he's really talented. But he might fall all the way to the second round. If you can get Jordan Love in the second round, oh my gosh, if you're the Buccaneers or the Colts, pull the trigger, make that happen. Uh, now, I think, I think a team's going to move up and get him earlier. I think a, a team like the Raiders, who has a quarterback already and can allow Jordan Love to sit, might take him. But if you're the Colts or you're the Buccaneers, you bring Tom Brady in, make him appreciate it, give him satisfaction, give him what he wants, let him win a bunch with your franchise. And then whenever he's done... You've drafted Jordan Love. He's ready to go. He can be next for your franchise. I think there's a, yeah, man, that, whether it's the Buccaneers, whether it's the Colts, maybe another franchise out there wants that idea and they have a team ready to go, ready to win. Maybe it's the Chicago Bears. They have a good franchise. They're ready to win. They don't have the receivers I'd like to have with Tom Brady, but man, there's a team out there with good pieces ready to win, eager to have good quarterback play, and Tom Brady can bring that. And if you don't have a quarterback of the future and you have Tom Brady, Draft Jordan Love. Have him ready to go, learning behind Tom Brady. Jimmy Garoppolo learned behind Tom Brady. It worked out pretty well for the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jordan Love could be a similar story. I love Jordan Love. I love Tom Brady. I think them working together on some franchise would be great. And uh, if I'm in that franchise, I'm not saying I'm not asking Tom Brady to do anything with Jordan Love. Jordan Love's development is on Jordan Love and the coaches. Tom Brady, go out and win us football games. Jordan Love, be smart. Take notes, pay attention, and soak everything up like a sponge. I think a lot of teams should take advantage and take a, a play at Tom Brady. Now, here's a wild thought. All the focus right now is on Tom Brady. Everybody's wondering. They're saying things like, what is going to be next for Tom Brady? And, man, the Patriots dynasty is over. It's trash. It's awful. And I want to ask, why is nobody paying attention to Bill Belichick? Nobody's asking the question, hey, what's Bill Belichick going to do next? Bill Belichick is one of the smartest people, the head coach of the Patriots. He's one of the smartest people in NFL history. And he's got smart friends. He's really good friends with Nick Saban, the Alabama head coach. There's a whole HBO documentary literally about to come out detailing and documenting and spotlighting the friendship between Belichick and Nick Saban. They're good friends. That means that Bill Belichick has smart people in his ear giving him advice if he wants it and needs it. And the Patriots are unraveling. I mean, the Patriots are about to lose their offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. They're probably going to lose their quarterback, Tom Brady. And the team's talent is definitely waning in New England. So the question is now, all eyes are on Tom Brady, but what about Bill Belichick? I think people need to be more prepared for Bill Belichick to make some kind of move coming up this offseason. I'm not sure what, he, what that could be. Maybe he's going to leave the Patriots and go to another team. Maybe he's going to trade for a quarterback. Maybe he retires. I have no idea what that means. 
but we all have our eyes focused and all our attention focused on Tom Brady. I think the guy we got to watch is Bill Belichick. What does Bill Belichick do next? He's not a dummy. And I don't think he's just planning to sit around and let his dynasty fall apart. No, he's going to do something. I don't know what that something is yet. But let's watch for the move Bill Belichick makes. It would actually surprise me if he didn't make some kind of move and do something. The Patriots feel like a sinking ship right now, but you have one of the smartest football minds in NFL history. He's not just going to let it sink, and he's not going to do it quietly. He's going to make something happen, make some kind of play or leave or do something. Keep your eyes on Bill Belichick. What does he do next? Let's not just give all our focus to Tom Brady. Let's ask the question, what is Bill Belichick going to do next for the New England Patriots? All right, I'm going to drink some water. We're going, to, we're going to talk more. We have more wild card games to talk about moving forward. I, uh, <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm tired. It's late at night. It's very, you know, it's, I'm going to be up all night probably <laughs> working on this. By the time you're hearing this, maybe I'll finally be in bed getting some sleep. Um, the Minnesota Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints 26-20 to in overtime in New England. And right off the bat, we need to discuss the final touchdown play for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Vikings' final touchdown was controversial. It happened in overtime. It was third and goal on you know like one-yard line. And the Vikings threw the ball into the end zone. And the Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph caught the ball. And some people say he pushed off. And that offensive pass interference should have been called. Now, look, I see it this way. I see it's a it's a really close call. I think the call could have gone either way. Was it offensive pass interference? Was it not? It's one of those calls that's so close, it could have gone either way. Um, but I do want to say, man, I feel really sad for Saints fans who feel robbed. Saints fans feel like, oh, it's another punch in the gut, another year in a row where we had an opportunity and the game got stolen from us in the final play. Whether it was two years ago, the Miracle in Minnesota, where Miracle Minneapolis, excuse me, where this crazy play on the last play, throw from Case Keenum, touchdown, Saints lose. Or last year, what was a blatant pass interference call wasn't made, and it cost the, it really, it forced overtime, and the, Seahaw, the, the Saints lost in overtime. And this time, again in overtime, something happened, and the Saints lost where it was controversial. Maybe an offensive pass interference call should have been made. And uh, I feel for Saints fans who are struggling. I really do. Uh, I'll tell you, when I'm struggling, I call my dad. I wish you could call my dad. My dad would care for you. Uh, but sadly, my job is not to care for your heart. My job is not to coddle you and tell you I'm sorry. My job is to be honest. And honestly, when I watched that game last night, I don't even care about that offensive pass interference play. What I care about is the Saints missed opportunities. They had opportunities to win that football game, and they didn't. They had a missed field goal at the end of the half, a 43-yard field goal they missed. The game would have never even gone to overtime if the New Orleans Saints had made that field goal. And then never forget, the Saints had the ball on the 20-yard line going in with four minutes and 18 seconds left in the game, and Drew Brees fumbled and gave up the ball and gave the Vikings the ball. That's at least two scoring opportunities that they did not make happen. Not to mention the Saints were awful on third down. They were 4 for 11. They converted four of their 11 third down attempts. Do not act like the Saints played a perfect game. They had opportunities to win the game long before the game ever was in the hands of the referees making that call and not calling offensive pass interference. Um, the Saints could have played a lot better. They missed opportunities and they allowed the game to go into overtime. And when you do that, if you don't make plays earlier in the game, you leave the game in the hands of people like the referees who are not perfect and can screw up. Guess what? That's a part of the game. I am sorry. Like, my heart goes out to people. I feel bad for them when it feels like the final play comes down to referees and then someone makes a bad call. But it shouldn't have ever come to that because the, the Saints had opportunities and they blew it. They missed a field goal. They were terrible on third down. And again, never, ever, 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 ever forget. Drew Brees fumbled with four minutes left on the 20-yard line going in. In the red zone, Drew Brees gave up the ball, coughed it up, gave the Vikings the ball. Don't act like the Saints got completely screwed. They had opportunities. They didn't take advantage of it, and that is a big part of why they lost. Now, the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, was phenomenal. I love the guy. He's awesome. Um, he made plays. And, I, look, I've been hard on him. I'm, I've been honest about his struggles. But in this game, Kirk Cousins made plays when his team needed him. How awesome is that? He got his very first ever playoff win. My dad and I were sitting there, and my dad goes, man, Kirk is so lucky tonight. It's not a Monday Night Football game. 
because he's 0-9 on Monday Night Football. But no, I mean, all jokes aside, he played great. Um, he made a couple of deep throws to Adam Thielen where I went, wow, Dad, that's a, that's a high-level throw. That's a perfect throw, and that's clutch. That's what his team needed. Um, so I'm really happy for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Now, coming up next, the Minnesota Vikings play the San Francisco 49ers. I think they have a really good shot to beat the 49ers. The Vikings have found a way to get healthy at the right time of the year. Dalvin Cook came back. Adam Thielen came back. And, man, their defense, especially in this game, the Minnesota Vikings defense is playing really, really well right now. And it feels like the Vikings have caught fire at the right time of the year. At the end of the year, the Vikings are finally playing their best you know, brand of football, their best football of the year. I think the Vikings are a team to look out for. I would not take them lightly. Kirk is playing great. The team loves him. Did you see the team afterwards? They were so happy for Kirk. The, the team has rallied around Kirk Cousins and his leadership. I'm so happy for him. I'm happy for their team in general. And I think the Vikings are a team to not take lightly. They have a very good opportunity and a very good chance to beat the 49ers next weekend in the divisional round. Now, um, the Houston Texans beat the Buffalo Bills 22-19 to in overtime. The Bills have now been eliminated from the playoffs. And it's really, really important to point out, the Bills got out to a 16 to nothing lead in this game. And it was not early in the game. No, I mean, like, it was 13-0 to at halftime. Then later in the third quarter, at one point, the Bills had a... 16 to 0 lead. The Bills had all the momentum and they still found a way to lose. The Texans really really struggled to move the ball in the first half. They couldn't score. They didn't score at all in the first half. But man, they really got things going in the second half and one of those one of the reasons why the Texans were able to get the ball rolling and get things going in the second half was DeAndre Hopkins their top receiver. Um one of my favorite battles of this game between the Bills and the Texans was Following the matchup between Tredavious White, the Bills' corner, and DeAndre Hopkins, the, uh, the Texans' wide receiver. Both of them are all pro receivers, meaning that they're the best at what they do. And, uh, I mean, like, you know, of the best of the best. Yeah, they're up there in that top group. And uh, Tredavious White won in the first half. DeAndre Hopkins did not have a catch in the first half of this playoff game. But DeAndre Hopkins found a way to win the battle in the second half. He battled back. He fought back. In the second half, and only in the second half, DeAndre Hopkins finished the game with six catches for 90 yards. That's awesome. It's really cool. Now, with four minutes and 17 seconds left, the Texans took their first lead of the game. They took the lead 19-16, to 16, and it was a huge swing. The Bills lost all the momentum, and you know they had it for a long time. They lost it. Suddenly, the Texans took over. And DeAndre Hopkins had a huge impact on that emotional swing for the Houston Texans. But the biggest reason why the Texans made it happen was their quarterback, Deshaun Watson. He deserves so much credit. Deshaun Watson completed 20 of his 25 passes. He had 247 yards passing, one touchdown, zero interceptions. He also was the Texans' leading rusher. Deshaun Watson had 14 runs for 55 yards and another touchdown. And Deshaun Watson's awesome, man. I'm one of those, he's one of those guys where if I was given an NFL team to run and said, hey, pick any quarterback, this is the guy you want to build around for the next 10 years, I either pick Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. He does things on a consistent basis where I go, that's a play nobody else in the league can make. It's phenomenal. Really, really, really cool. And before we talk about overtime, I want to point out that and acknowledge two things about the Buffalo Bills. Number one is that you got to respect, and it's really impressive the way that the way that and the fact that the Buffalo Bills were able to make it into the playoffs and make it into excuse me to make it into overtime at all. I mean, it's in the playoffs. It's late in the fourth quarter, and the Bills needed a stop. They were down three points, sixteen and nineteen, with a little over a minute left and three timeouts. And the Bills stopped the Texans four plays in a row. I mean, the Texans had a four-play, nine-yard drive. We're on fourth and one. The Bills stopped them, held them, were able to keep the play, the game going, got the ball back for their offense. And the Bills somehow found a way to drive down the field and kick the game-tying field goal to send them to overtime. The other thing you have to recognize, it was very pretty, really clear to me, Josh Allen down the stretch his decision-making, the quarterback for the Bills, decision-making 
began to erode at the end of the game. He began making riskier and riskier decisions. He forced the ball into coverage. He was throwing the ball up into double coverage deep downfield. And at one point, he even tried to recklessly lateral the ball. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't really understand the thought. He got lucky. It went out of bounds. But Josh Allen tried to lateral to a teammate of his as he was getting tackled late in the game as the game was hanging in the balance. It was very weird, very odd. And also, I got to say, not only do was Josh Allen's decision-making eroded near the end of the game, his also his, his playing style, the way he runs the ball, makes me really nervous. He runs around, he gets hit a lot, and uh, you got to recognize that got him hurt at Wyoming. And it got him hurt earlier in the year against the Patriots. The way Josh Allen runs the ball is not elegant. He doesn't get down very much. He kind of runs until somebody tackles him. He doesn't run and run out of bounds. He doesn't run and slide. Josh Allen tends to run until he gets hit, and that's a problem. And I, I really fear that injuries are going to hinder Josh Allen if he doesn't start taking fewer hits. In the future, injuries could become a major concern for Josh Allen. And that scares me because I don't want to see a guy losing, ga- you know, leaving games early or missing multiple weeks of a season because he's hurt because he plays quarterback and he won't slide or he won't find a way to avoid a hit. So the way that Josh Allen plays a quarterback position makes me a little bit hesitant to go, I, I really don't want to see the guy get hurt. It really scares me. And here's how the game ended. Both teams had an opportunity to drive the ball down the field in overtime. The Texans got the ball first. They punted. Then the Bills got the ball. They had to punt. And then finally, in the second drive for the Houston Texans, the Texans scored the game-winning field goal in overtime uh, and won the game. Now, the critical winning play of this game was on a second and six where Deshaun Watson made one of those plays I talked about earlier where he occasionally does something that literally nobody else in the NFL can do he was dead to rights. The Texan, uh, the Bills had an all-out blitz. He had two guys on him in the backfield. He found a way to avoid the sack. He escaped. He ran around, extended the play, threw the ball downfield. The receiver made an incredible run after the catch. Ran all the way down to the first, you know, to the goal line. It was first and goal for the Texans. They kicked the game-winning field goal. The Texans won the game. They advanced in the playoffs. And in the end, the you know, one quarterback, Deshaun Watson, got better as the moment grew brighter and had more pressure. And sadly, the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, really seemed to struggle with the moment. So Deshaun Watson got better. Josh Allen got worse as the game went on and the progression got you know greater. Now, if I'm a Bills fan today, though, I, I, I will tell you, I obviously I'm sad about losing the playoffs. If I was a Bills fan, I'd be very sad. Like, oh, my team not knocked out of the playoffs. That's painful. That's awful. But if I'm a Bills fan right now, I also feel incredibly encouraged about not only the direction of my football team, but our standing in our division. The Patriots appear to be falling apart, and people keep saying the dynasty is over. So it feels like the AFC East, the division of the Buffalo Bills, is going to be up for grabs in the next couple of years. The Bills are primed to take advantage of that. And this year, this season for the Bills, young players, multiple young players really emerged as future stars. The quarterback, Josh Allen, looks phenomenal. Running back Devin Singletary, rookie, looks phenomenal. Uh, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, wow, the dude is talented. We already knew that coming into the NFL, but he's really honing his skills. He had 12 tackles in this game against the Houston Texans. Tremaine Edmonds is phenomenal. And then even the Bills' struggles, they're not really a concern to me. Like the, the struggles of their young quarterback, Josh Allen. You can go one of two ways. You can go, oh, our quarterback has so much to work on, or you can go, Oh, well, now we know what our quarterback needs to work on. He has a whole list of things he can work on and improve. I'll make a video about it. I'll do a film analysis at some point. Um, But the Bills have built a really solid foundation. They know the areas they need to improve on, especially their quarterback, Josh Allen. If they can clean up some of those small things, the future is really, really bright in Buffalo. Um, And I am so excited for the future of the Buffalo Bills. I never thought I would say that, but man, I, I am now. They look awesome. They have their quarterback. They have their running back. They have Tremaine Edmonds. They have a good coach. Everything about the Buffalo Bills right now is firing on all cylinders. They're about to be able to grab their division, and I am so excited again for the future of the Buffalo Bills. Um, man, a couple of my words. Like I am, I'm just exhausted. I'm ready to sleep. It's been a long day. Long, you know, it's been up for like 18 hours in a row. Who cares? I'm ha- I'm not complaining. I'm happy. I love my job. Um, the Seattle Seahawks beat the Philadelphia Eagles 19, not 19. Wow. I almost said Phillies, too. That's what I mean when I say I'm tired. Like, words 
I almost said the Philadelphia Phillies, and they're definitely not the Philadelphia Phillies. They're the Philadelphia Eagles. The Seattle Seahawks beat the Philadelphia Eagles 17-9, to and the Eagles have been now eliminated from the playoffs after Wild Card Weekend. And the headlining story for me was that Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, got hurt and missed most of the game with a concussion. In fact, he only threw four passes throughout the entire game. And so people in Philadelphia all night and all afternoon have been sending me all kinds of messages asking what I thought of the hit that knocked Carson Wentz out of the game. And so I have to make a comment. What do I think of the hit? So Carson Wentz was running. He went down and Javion Clowney tackled him and got hit by Javion Clowney. And Eagles fans appear to be looking for somebody to blame. Who is responsible for our year coming to an end the way it did? Our quarterback wasn't able to play most of the game. Somebody must be to blame. And like I, I, I know some families that, you know, there's this blame culture where you know, something bad happens and people go, who do we punish? Who should be the one to be punished? And the kids are smart. The kids know. Hey, uh, don't fess up. Don't tell you who it is because whoever is determined to be the person to blame gets destroyed. And I saw the hit Jadavian Clowney, you know, laid on Carson Wentz. It looked like incidental contact. It didn't look like a malicious evil hit. Now, we have no idea. Here's a fact. We have no idea what was going on in Jadavian Clowney's heart. Maybe it was an intentional hit. Maybe it was a dirty hit. And, you know, Jadavian Clowney was trying to injure the quarterback, Carson Wentz. But I don't think so. And look, even if, let's let's play it out. What happens if you punish Jadavian Clowney? He either, like worst case scenario, he leaves the game. Best case scenario, they get a 15-yard penalty. Would either outcome really have changed the game? Either way, Carson Wentz was hurting out for the game. And here's the really thing. You know, the Bills fans are looking, excuse me, Eagles fans are looking for somebody they can blame. I mean, man, the reality is that, and this is just life in general, and this is, this is, some things happen that are just unfortunate. There were, it's not anybody's fault. It's just an unlucky, bad thing that happened. The Eagles quarterback got hurt, and sometimes bad things happen. That's what this feels like. It feels like it's a moment in life where it's sad. And it, like, I am, I'm brutally sad we didn't get to watch Carson Wentz play. I really wanted to watch Carson Wentz play the rest of this game. But instead of being angry and being like, who do we blame? Maybe the reality for Eagles fans is that they just need to accept and acknowledge that there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of sadness. The root of anger is sadness. And I think that instead of being sad and blaming somebody, I think the reality is, and like I'm, I guess I shouldn't tell people how to feel. Do whatever you want. But I don't, I don't think Jadavian Clowney's this awful guy who maliciously tried to take out the Eagles quarterback. I think it was just an unfortunate play where the quarterback got hurt. And, uh, but I, I, I'm sad and disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm just sad. Like, oh, we got robbed of this interesting, fun game. And the Eagles season ended prematurely because their quarterback got hurt. Um, and that sucks. And really, if you want to blame anybody, blame Carson Wentz for running the way he did. I mean, he is a guy now at this point in Carson Wentz's career. How many times does he have to get injured before we realize and start to acknowledge, hey, there's a really significant pattern here. Carson Wentz gets hurt. There's no if, ands, or buts. He does. And he's got to learn to take fewer hits and just get hit way less. Because the way the rate at which Carson Wentz gets injured tells me it's more than just a problem with the people around him. It's probably also somewhat of a Carson Wentz problem. So I was looking forward to watching Russell Wilson versus Carson Wentz. I was so disappointed and so sad we didn't get that. But instead what we got was Josh McCown. Josh McCown played quarterback for the majority of the Eagles game for the Eagles. And now I got to say, Josh McCown is a cool story. Look, there's, you know, he's 40 years old. He's the second quarterback ever. The only other guy to do this was Sonny Jurgensen in like the... Like seven in, the, in like 1974, maybe. But, you know, Josh McCown is the second quarterback all time ever to throw his very first postseason pass after being, after turning 40 years old. That's crazy to me. So finally, Josh McCown got to play in a playoff game. And I'm so happy for him. He had, he's had a wild career. Remember, you know, he started with the Cardinals. He actually handed Emmett Smith his very first touch, you know, his very last touchdown of his career. The way that Emmett Smith's Hall of Fame career got capped off was getting a handoff from Josh McCown. He also threw Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald's very first touchdown in the NFL. Another Hall of Fame player, oddly linked to Josh McCown. And you know, now in in the playoffs, at 40 years old, he threw his very first pass. He didn't win, but he had a valiant effort. 
And I got to say, man, I came for Josh McCown. Or excuse me, I came for Carson Wentz, and I was upset we didn't get Carson Wentz. Uh, I will say, if there's any ever going to be another backup quarterback I'd rather watch, there's not. I really like watching Josh McCown. He's fun. He's a good story. And I'm sad. You know, he, he really wasn't as good as I wanted him to be. But the story was fun and interesting, and I, it was better than it could have been. But also the truth is that I, I paid good money. If, if I was paying for a show, I'd feel pretty disappointed because I paid, and I came to see, and I wanted to see Carson Wentz playing quarterback for the Eagles. I feel like I got robbed of that experience, and that stinks, and that's pretty sad. Now, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, man, it was so much fun watching Marshawn Lynch. The dude looks so happy playing running back for the Seattle Seahawks. He just seems to be having a good time. And, you know, next week, Seattle Seahawks, you know, Marshawn Lynch, they're going to get to play at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, his legendary kind of sacred place in the world of the NFL. I'm so happy for Marshawn Lynch. I mean, I bet people especially some retired NFL players that feel like they could still play or really love the game. I think some retired NFL players probably look at Marshall Lynch and go, man, this dude's got it good. He got to skip the entire year, gets to play in the playoffs. He gets to live his dream, play. He looks like he's having a great time. The smile on his face, the way he's running really hard. He had some plays where he threw guys around. I mean, it's awesome. And I think there are, I'm sure there are some retired NFL players who look at Marshall Lynch and feel jealous. Now, the big stud, though, we got to talk about this. The biggest really most impressive player for the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday was DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf is rookie receiver. He had seven catches, 160 yards and a touchdown. He had this incredible play to seal the deal for the Seahawks had a long catch. He also had a touchdown catch where he dove on the five yard line and got up and rolled into the end zone. And it has been so cool and so much fun to watch DK Metcalf progress this year. I mean, he's always been really physically gifted. We knew that at the NFL Combine earlier this year. Um, I guess earlier last year because it was 2019. Now it's 2020. Uh, but DK Metcalf came into the NFL really, really raw. All my friends that played you know, receiver in college at a high level in the in D1 told me, like, look, DK Metcalf's incredible, but his route running skill isn't there. His polish isn't there. The little things he needs to do just aren't there. And even like early in the year, we saw DK Metcalf really struggle with back shoulder fades. He couldn't adjust to the ball. And he really struggled with jump balls, and he couldn't win jump balls. Tonight, we saw the culmination, I guess earlier today, on Sunday against the Eagles in the playoffs, wild card round, we saw the culmination of all the hard work that DK Metcalf has been doing, his progression. It's phenomenal. He played great. He, he won jump balls. He had a great diving catch. He had good routes. He's just getting so much better. He's winning one-on-one matchups, and it's pretty awesome. I doubted DK Metcalf coming to the NFL. I, I really, I made a comparison. I compared him to an underbaked cookie. I said he's just not ready, and he looks phenomenal today. He's done the work. He's gotten so much better. He's bought into the what the Seahawks are selling, and it's really interesting to compare Nikhil Harry, who was a first-round pick for the New England Patriots playing receiver. I think I'd rather have DK Metcalf, a guy who went in the second round. DK Metcalf is significantly better right now than Nikhil Harry. He's playing better. He's winning one of matchups. He's getting jump balls. He has improved so much and improved so much more than Nikhil Harry. So you got to give a lot of credit to DK Metcalf. He's playing phenomenal. He's done a great job and he's improved so, so much. And just, it's not about like, what it is, is DK Metcalf's skill set has gotten better. The tools he has in the toolbox, he's gotten more tools, runs better routes, catches jump balls. He looks a little more coordinated. He is putting it together, and DK Metcalf has a really big future if he keeps improving at a rate like he has this year with the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I am praying, if you pray, this is what I'm praying for. I really want to have the Seattle Seahawks rematch against the 49ers for a third time this year. Two of the best games I've watched this year, not the two best, but of the pool of the best games of the year, two of those games were both of the times that the 49ers played the Seattle Seahawks. The first time they played, game went to overtime, Seahawks won. The second time they played, game came down to the final drive. The Seattle Seahawks got stomped on fourth and goal. First and goal, second and goal. They squandered their opportunity on the goal line. Seahawks got stopped. I so badly want to see the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers rematch and play each other for a third time. Next week, the 49ers play the Vikings. And the Seahawks play the Packers. I really hope both of those two teams win because I so badly want a rematch. I want the drama, the fun, the narrative that's going to come with the 
the 49ers playing the Seahawks for a third time this year. I hope they play in the NFC Championship game to get into the Super Bowl. It'd be so much fun. I wouldn't even root for anybody. I'd just say, look, I want chaos. I want it to be crazy, fun, wild, maybe go to overtime. And that's all I want from that game. I just want wild, a chaotic game. And that sounds really, really awesome to me. I really hope we get a 49ers Seahawks rematch later this year in the playoffs. Okay. Um, on December 6th, I made a video called, I called it one of these five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. And I listed that the Seahawks, the Rams, the uh, excuse me, the Seahawks, the Ravens, the 49ers, the Saints, or the Patriots. One of those five teams, not the Rams, the Seahawks, 49ers, Ravens, Patriots, Saints. One of those five teams was going to win the Super Bowl. And while Wild Card Weekend is over, the Patriots are now out of the playoffs. The Saints are now out of the playoffs. Biggest shocker to me. The Patriots doesn't surprise me too much. The Saints really shocked me. I thought they were kind of a juggernaut, and they got beat at home in New Orleans. That's a surprising deal to me. Now, when I made that list, I intentionally left the Kansas City Chiefs out. This was about a month ago. It was on December 6th when I made that video, when at least when it came out. I think I recorded it two days before that. Um, and the reason why I left the Chiefs out of the list, the reason why I didn't say the Chiefs could win the Super Bowl was because I was concerned about the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Well, it appears that the Kansas City Chiefs defense has really come together in the last six weeks. And, and my job as a broadcaster is to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. And when I have new evidence come into my brain and I have new information at my disposal, it's my job to acknowledge it. And so I got to say, the Chiefs defense looks significantly better. Even the Chargers quarterback, Phillip Rivers, after playing the Kansas City Chiefs Week 17, acknowledged, man, this team, this defense has really come together and really improved. Um, and my question is, what happened? Why is the Chiefs defense getting better? And why do they look better, so much better today than they did last year? And number one, the Chiefs' personnel has steadily improved throughout this year. And that's, by the way, that's how skill works. Over time, if you do drills and you practice, your skills get better. And that seems to be what has happened with the Kansas City Chiefs. Some of their guys have become more skilled, and they're more skilled now than they were week one. Week 17, they're better football players than they were week one. And that's not shocking or surprising. That's how doing drills and that's how building your skills works. So the Chiefs are getting better literally as individual players. They also got better this year to, from, from last year to this year. They added, you know, Brashawn Breeland, uh, he, and he's really improved throughout this year. His confidence has skyrocketed. He had a play where he jumped a pass and picked off Tom Brady week 14 a couple weeks ago, jumped her out, made a great play. Adding Deshaun Breeland has been a great, adding Brashawn Breeland has been a really great um, move in addition to the Chiefs' defense. Then you got to also acknowledge whether well, the Chiefs also added safety Tyran Matthew. He's, a, he's called the Honey Badger. He's really, really good. And as the season has gone on, the Chiefs defense, not only did they add guys like they added Tyron Matthew at corner, they added Brashawn Breland at corner, they added uh, defensive end Frank Clark. He's had a huge impact. He has had eight sacks this year. Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks. They've come on better. The chemistry of the guys around them is getting better. The Chiefs defense is learning how to work together better. And I talked about Frank Clark. What about the guy across from him, Chris Jones? Chris Jones has nine sacks, one more than Frank Clark. Uh, look, the Chiefs defense has really improved from last year to this year. And I love their first year defensive coordinator. They just hired him last offseason. Steve Spagnolo. He's a great he he failed as a head coach. I think some guys there's a thing called the Peter Principle where they get elevated too much and they run into they hit their ceiling where they're not any good. I don't think Steve Spagnolo is a good head coach. He just shouldn't be one. But he's a great defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's really good at dialing up pressure and the guys believe in him, they trust him. And, uh, man, it's just great. The Chiefs' defense has significantly improved this year. Their skill is better. They're playing well. Their schemes are great. The players overall, like, they upgraded players from last year to this year. And the Chiefs' better defense, the Chiefs' improving defense from earlier this year into now is a big reason why I think, man, they have a chance to win a Super Bowl. We can talk about Patrick Mahomes all you want, but the Chiefs' defense is the, has changed recently for the Chiefs, and this is why I believe they have a shot now to win the Super Bowl their defense, you got to acknowledge, the Chiefs' defense has gotten better over the course of this year. Ask Phillip Rivers, ask the teams that have played them at the end of the year, ask Tom Brady, who got picked off by the Chiefs. The Chiefs' defense has gotten better this year, and that has allowed them to be in an opportunity where I think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl because of their defense. Okay, um, it was finally announced yesterday that finally— the Dallas Cowboys are moving on from their former head coach, Jason Garrett. They have fired Jason Garrett. And uh, 
man, it's just so messy and dysfunctional in Dallas. The way they've handled this entire situation. You know, when the year ended, the Dallas Cowboys didn't fire Jason Garrett. And it was just weird. And the longer it went on that they didn't fire him, the weirder and weirder it got. The Cowboys were not being loyal or caring or graceful. I really think that what the Cowboys did was actually uncaring to Jason Garrett. If you care about Jason Garrett, you don't string him along. Uh, Stringing people along is awful. It's terrible. And I, I encourage you just in life in general, when you're done with someone, be done. Don't string them along. It's really terrible. And, you know, the Cowboys were interviewing other head coaches while Jason Garrett was still officially holding the title of head coach for their football team. That's awful and weird. You don't fire, you don't, you don't start looking for a new coach before you fire the current one. That's just bizarre. And how sick is that? You know, Jason Garrett was holding the title. He's in the building, but you're bringing in Mike McCarthy and, you know, Marvin Lewis to interview for Jason Garrett's job, even though he still technically has that title. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for Jason Garrett. And it's not good for the new coaches. What kind of president does that send? You're interviewing for a job, and the guy you're going to replace is still there. I mean, put that into another context. Imagine you're going out on a date with a girl who currently has a boyfriend. And you, know, like you drop her off at her house, and her current boyfriend is there waiting with flowers to let her into the house. I mean, it's just weird and it's just bizarre. It's all kinds of messed up. I'm, look, I'm glad that the Dallas Cowboys— Finally fired Jason Garrett. This was a long time coming. He needed to be gone. Like, it was really interesting. A lot of people were like, well, maybe Jason Garrett's going to go to the New York Giants or the Cleveland Browns and be the coach of this or that. It's like, what did Jason Garrett do? Like, list, tell me one thing Jason Garrett excels at. He's not an offensive coordinator. He doesn't, he's not great as a leader. He doesn't make great in-game decisions. Like, what does Jason Garrett do? I couldn't tell you. And so to me, like, it's clear... For many, I made many videos about this, why the Cowboys needed to fire Jason Garrett. I'm not going to retread the whole topic, but the way they did it was so bizarre and I think wrong. And I like, I'm glad they did it. It's better late than never, but the fact that it was this late is just weird. And they mishandled it to, to be interviewing other head coaches while Jason Garrett is still technically the head coach. Grow some balls, fire the guy, then start looking around for a new coach. Don't wait so long. It, the way it played out was just proof of how misguided and uh, messy that the Dallas Cowboys organization is. And to me, even in the firing of Jason Garrett, they screwed up. And all of it just reeks of dysfunction in Dallas. And that's just unfortunate. Just Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys, the way they're run. Um, I wouldn't say they have a bad owner, but they have a meddling owner. You know, that's what I would call it. Uh, some ownership is bad in, in, in the NFL. Jerry Jones is not a bad owner per se. He's got an incredibly successful business with the Dallas Cowboys. But he meddles in football a little more than I would like. And uh, I think here he really screwed up. He, he, he kept Jason Garrett on way too long. And uh, in the end, it was actually an example of their dysfunction rather than what could have been a healthy opportunity to fire a coach and move, up, move forward healthily. They didn't do it. They handled it completely wrong. And uh, it's a bad look for the Dallas Cowboys. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. We do have one more thing at the end of the show. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, four years ago, nearly four years ago, my younger brother died. He committed suicide. And it was heartbreaking. It's one of the more painful things I've ever been through in my life. It's the worst. Please don't commit suicide. It's terrible. And I learned two really painful lessons when that happened. Number one is that if you're struggling, you got to go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Um, if you're struggling, go get help. My brother never shared his struggles. One day I walked into his bedroom Found him dead on the floor. It's just painful and awful. And so I encourage you, if you're, if you're having a hard time, don't suffer in silence. And number two, if you're someone who's, I would encourage you, this is a lesson I learned from my brother. I saw my brother every day. We worked together. We, we saw each other all the time. But I never really made it clear enough to him, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I care for you. If you're having a hard time, you can talk to me. I never said that to him. And I didn't make it clear enough to him, hey, I love you so much. I, I just really love you. And so I encourage you, tell the people in your life you love them. They care about them. Make it clear to them that they're having a hard time. They can come talk to you. And don't be afraid to have awkward or maybe more depth conversations. My brother and I talked about video games, movies, sports, and girls, and that was it. We never had a really more in-depth conversation. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with more depth. And if your friends do come to you with a, a, a struggle and they're having a hard time with suicide, encourage them to talk to a professional. Go get help above you. Don't take on that burden, but do listen to your friends. Be there for them. Tell them you love them. And make sure the people in your life know 
how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in and uh, recording. I guess I'm going to go to sleep. It's Sunday, mo- it's Sunday night, Monday morning. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to work on Ask Zach, record Ask Zach uh, Monday, sometime Monday, probably Monday afternoon. Hope you have a great day. And, uh, oh, Carter, if you're out there, Cardi, Carter, what is, what is his name? I should have put this at the beginning of the show. I meant to and I forgot. Carter's on a road trip right now. If you're still listening, man, I, I love you so much. I really am grateful. Where are you? Carter, he's driving to the Northwest. Oh, man, Carter Mazier? Yes, Carter, Carter Mays? Maisie? Ah, I don't want to say who your last name is important. Carter, if you're listening, you know who you are. Man, I hope your your road trip's going well. I'm glad you're listening. I really appreciate you, man. I hope you're having a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are.